Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Cameron was recorded on February 16th, 2023. My name's Cameron. I'm an adult child. Thank you. Great to be with everyone this evening. Hi, thank you. Okay, so I have an intention tonight, and that is to be uh, honest and just let you in on my process and not present something uh, differently than what I'm currently experiencing. And so first, it's just an honor to be here. ACA has completely transformed my life. It's, it's, I've done a lot of things in my life for, to try to recover from whatever it was that was causing me so much problems in my life. And like, you know, especially mentally and emotionally, all these things, and nothing has done what ACA has done for me with the tools that I've gotten here and my relationship, particularly with my inner children and loving parent. So um, I, this is amazing. Voices Across America, I, I never felt like I had a voice. It's so crazy that I'm here and, and speaking, but um yeah, the first thing that I experienced when somebody asked me to speak is shame. And I, I, so I just want to be upfront about that. And with that shame is that sense, like, who am I? What do I have to say? What value? You know, those whole old beliefs that I've been carrying for so long. And, um, and then as that comes out, this false self, as our, our literature talks about, comes out, this controller, this anxious energy. It's like, I got to come up with the most brilliant thing ever. I, I, I just, what do I have to do to make sure everybody likes me? And nobody does. So that whole energy comes out and is trying to resolve this, this shame. And maybe if I just say the perfect thing for 45 minutes straight, then I'll be okay. But ultimately, and why I say ACA has transformed my life is because it's given me the space to step back from all of that craziness that I'm describing and some separation from that critical parent or uh, that false self. And I get to see it all. And the I love that we chose to read the Tony A's 12 steps and his step two says that we come to believe in a, a higher power that can, that brings us clarity. And that's our, um, the principles of step two are open-mindedness and clarity. And I just, there's something so powerful about me having clarity in my life. And so I have the clarity to step back again and witness all this stuff arise and connect with higher power and breathe, come to this place of spaciousness. And my my life has been so governed by this sense of suffocation, uh, just as like a, a trauma reaction and constantly feeling that that anxious energy that's just depleting my, my energy. And so I, I, that's one of the most powerful things that I've got to experience in this program, that, that clarity. And 
I'm a reactor, not an actor. That's my survival trait. That's my, that's how I survive. And so I would react to that initial impulse and believe it and over-identify with it and then sabotage it or just drown in that shame for days and days and days. But today I can, stepping into that clarity, turn towards my inner child. There's someone at the receiving end of that tape. There's someone at the receiving end of that critical voice and that's feeling that, and that's my inner child. And so when I get to turn towards him with compassion, hear him say, I'm scared. I feel like no one's going to like me. And just listen and hear it and offer that validation. Um, That relieves me from the hook of that just crazy insanity. And I even turned off my camera before this and was just like kind of hugging and saying, I'm proud of you. And I think that's a, a mark of a loving parent. Like before you go into your recital, during and after, I'm going to love you. And there's no way you can fail and change that. So I just, I, I'm feeling, I'm feeling that. And I, and I, I, I'm proud of my inner children. They showed up here and I, I do have a voice today. I, I have something to say and everyone has a voice in here and a central component to this program is sharing our stories and speaking the the unspeakable and naming those things. And that, that busts through the, the denial that I'm so used to, to living in. And so I just want to acknowledge everyone else for being here and acknowledge your inner children, whether you've made contact with them or not, and your loving parents, just for whatever reason, we're all here tonight. And I, and I recognize that. I'll slow down. <clears throat> the this reactivity, this whole trait of that addiction to excitement has been the one that's been surfacing most recently for me. And I think that's related to my reactivity. I react, I, I just I go right into reacting. But um I'm starting to understand this addiction to excitement that it says in our book it was originally addiction to fear. And I include a whole bunch of things in there. It's like my addiction to fear, my addiction to chaos, to adrenaline, that whole inner drugstore that we talk about. And I get drunk off that emotion. I get high off of shame. My sponsor would point that out. And I'm like, I don't like this feeling. That's I can't be addicted to it. I want anything but this feeling. And he would help me very gently see that I am contributing to staying there. And I'm visualizing that, that I am picking up that bottle off the shelf. It says it so beautifully in our book, like the bottles are, the the shelves are stocked with bottles of anxiety and fear and shame and all this stuff. And, And so I visually see myself like putting down the bottle and I don't swim in shame for days on end anymore. It's still uncomfortable and feels like just maintaining that metaphor. When I put that bottle down, I kind of have to go through this withdrawal experience. It's like putting down alcohol. And so there's going to be discomfort. It doesn't feel right. And I have to go through that process and I have supports to help me, to help me get through that. Um, Yeah. I, I've stuffed my feelings for a really long time and can only tell you like, Oh, I feel bad. But this program has given me the 
the context in which to place that ambiguous feeling, which is it's this place, this space, this reactivity in me that's been created after growing up in this dysfunctional home of so much chaos. So of course I'm, I'm have these traits of reactivity and addiction to excitement. And I feel like I spend 95% of the day, or at least before ACA dissociated. And I never really identified with that word, but I'm so cut off from my body all the time. I'm just reacting. And I, I, part of my recovery is bringing that body back into a, really listening to it and trying to care for it in a, in a new way. And it's interesting. I, there's this book, it's the spirituality of imperfection. It's a, it's a 12 step person. And it, it has all these examples of these, I don't know, spiritual lessons and stuff. And one of them they have of this person uh, who had lived in a monastery for a year. And the, the question was like, okay, you've been in this monastery for a year. What did, what did you learn? What's, and it seems like a letdown, but the person's response is, I learned how to open and close doors. I'm like, okay, I, I kind of see it now. I understand it. But I think that I have a similar answer to, to ACA. And if you ask me what, what I got out of my first year or a couple years, I'd say it was how to drive, how to lower my shoulders. I'm constantly driving like this or sitting at my desk with my shoulders at my ear, just tense. And it's taught me to just be more mindful of that and lower my shoulders and relax and not be on constant guard or small or hunched and closed, but to just relax over and over again. And there's a lot to be said about that posture that I carried for so long. And uh, just obviously feeling like a, I was unsafe growing up in that very explosive home and and then bringing that into my relationships in adolescence and adulthood and so on. So the body's also been something that's surfacing with me. I'm starting to change my diet even, which is hard for me. I'm powerless over that. I don't know limits and I, I'm learning to do that. And again, just kind of like the the withdrawal from the inner drugstore, as I start to set limits on how and what and when I eat, um, it brings up a lot of discomfort, but things that I think need to appear and be worked through. It brings up a lot of grief, actually. It's that there, I can go on about the, just the food situation in my, in my family, which was, I, they, both my parents worked and had enough money, but there was some neglect. And I remember just eating frozen food, not even using the the toaster and just having a really unhealthy relationship to food and always being hungry. And um, so recognizing my my difficulty with food is also related to that. Um, But yeah, I, so I know I'm all over the place and that's okay. I, I told my inner children, I'm like, let's just, go into this and, and trust that something needs to be heard by somebody. Um, I, my addiction to excitement comes out of an environment of constant fighting and 
scary situations that a little kid, if you imagine a 50 pound kid, half the size of the adults, uh, listening to breaking plates and screaming night after night and breaking the fish bowl. And then the fish is flopping up like just chaos constantly is, is going to wire my body in that way. And so that again, reading that, um, Tony A's steps, it's, we take a blameless inventory of our parents because essentially, or however it's worded, we become them. And I seek out those situations to, to create that chaos. And I'm really trying to abstain from that, but that's just been a part of the way that I've been programmed and I'm, yeah, I seek that stuff out. There's this, I remember listening to Loveline, like my brother would listen to that with Dr. Drew when I was a kid and I would kind of overhear it. And he was so spot on. He can just pull out the person's trauma who was calling and it could be totally unrelated to anything. And he would say, did this happen to you? And sure enough, that experience, that person had experienced trauma. But I remember him saying that people can, uh, like the alcoholic and, and Al-Anon can pick each other out like an antenna. You can be totally cleaned up, shower, shave, dressed in your best clothes, have no indication whatsoever that you're carrying that stuff and, and, and go to that party or wherever. And those two people will meet up. It's just, it's just a strange thing. And I think that that's been my experience of attracting and being in relationships for a long time. Although that's changing. Now I'm attracting healthy people. I'm not willing to get into the chaos anymore. It feels bad. It's just not, it's not fun. The adrenaline is, is, is draining, but um, yeah, I just want to pause and recognize my inner child for going through that, the, the constant state of fear and hyper alertness. And like I said, the, the, the shoulders up to the ear and just the intensity and, and worry and fear and all of that. And yeah, I, I, it's, 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 that was normal to me. That all felt normal. It was weird to start talking about this in ACA and be like, I guess I came from an alcoholic family. I guess it was dysfunctional because everything seemed so normal. But today I, I, I'm married and I spent years interacting with my in-laws and only recently have I finally admitted these people aren't like my family. I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. I'm waiting for something, but believe it or not, everyone here, there's people and families who exist who don't slam doors and punch holes in walls or call each other the worst names that you can imagine. And it, it I couldn't believe it, but it's true. This is this exists. I, I'm waiting for someone to scream. They don't do it. They resolve things more maturely than us. And uh, so I've actually received a lot of healing in that to see, to witness that, that way of being. And I, and I really like it. I'm going to slow down. Um, That's 30 minutes left. Okay. Thank you.
I'd say a, a, a root to a lot of these survival traits is the abandonment piece. I, I just went on a retreat recently, a few days. I went, um, well, a week, I went up to this retreat and there was a, a monk there who had been at this monastery for 50 years. And he and I were talking and he said that people need both to be told that they're love and shown that they're love. And there's people who will show you, you know, oh, I put food on the table, I pay the bills, I give you a roof over your head, but don't ever really say it. And that child or that whoever needs to hear those words. And then of course, there's the one who will tell you all day, oh, you're so special, I love you, but then go and behave in ways that um, suggest otherwise, or at least from a kid's perspective, if you're abusing alcohol and abusing each other and all that stuff, that's, so it, that just felt really important that both things need to be, need to be there. And so it's subtle, but there's abandonment there. My, my father abandoned me when I, as a young kid needed emotional attention and availability and safety, but he instead chose to cause fights, to start fights with people. And that's like our MO. Again, I, I, without a recovery program, I'm, I am my parents and it takes diligence and effort for me to pay attention to that. But he, um, I, I just, I, there's something to that, that really affected me. And I've shared about this before, but it's, well, there's this one memory. I just think it captures it so perfectly where I'm on this roller coaster ride, um, this ride, and these kids are spitting off of it because it goes upside down and just being silly. The spit didn't hit anybody, but when we got off the ride, he had to make it a problem and grab me by the shoulder, spit on my shoulder and like went up to them and was yelling at them for spitting. And I remember the fear in their eyes. I remember feeling yanked and just kind of like an object. But uh, the point is that's abandonment. That's leaving my needs to go and be a reactor, his own unmet, uh, undealt with childhood reactions and stuff. So I, I experienced a lot of that. He was not available. He was not around. He's still a workaholic. Uh, that runs in our family, always running off. He can't spend more than 10 minutes with a family, just got to bounce always. And he's just not a, a, able, he's emotionally checked out. He's not able to be, to be present. And that lack of presence to me is uh, indicative of abandonment. I experienced abandonment from my brother. I were a few years apart. I looked up to him. I wanted to be, I was just this kid and wanted to be liked and wanted to, to join. And I, and I had friends who had brothers and their, their brothers were friends with each other. It's weird. That's weird to me to see siblings who are friends. It's amazing, but it's weird. And I wanted that. It's weird because I didn't have it. And he seemed to hate me. This person seemed to hate me. He would like beat me and stomp on me. And just, I just got this sense that he had this disdain for me. And that really affects a child. And I, I felt that there must be something wrong with me. And uh, I will say that he and I in our thirties now are 
this is all higher power are beginning to have a relationship and talk about real things. And I thank God for that all the time. And I get to be there for him. He's been there for me in ways and it's a work in progress and we kind of come together, kind of leave, but it's, I do want to acknowledge that higher power is working in its own way on its own time. And the last note about abandonment is what I experienced was abandonment from my mother who kept me in this abusive environment for, um, again, with this man who was so rageful and so emotional and behaved in ways that were soul destroying in my, I think that just like shatters the soul of a kid to witness the, those abuses and just, and neglect and, and all of that. So I felt I would beg her, just leave him. I can't be here anymore. I please. And she always had some excuse and, um, I've said this, he's, he, she'll criticize him up and down and say how much she hates him. Then she'll compare me to him. Then she'll stay with him. And just all these mixed messages. And I had a lot of anger about that, that had to come out so that I can have a relationship with my mother until I let my inner child say, I'm so fucking pissed about this. I, um, I would just be anxious and irritable, but I, I, I've given him a safe space to, to let that out so that we can get to that place of understanding and, and have a relationship with boundaries, I'll, I'll say. Um, my sponsor helped me realize too that I was, there's some of that emotional incest there because I was getting involved in her matters. She was telling me about her problems with her husband, which weren't for me to get in, involved with. And the very act of me begging them her to leave was me trying to fix the situation. I'm like, oh, dang, that's crazy. And I'm a fixer. I, that's so, I'm my mom. Like I, I, I want to fix things and she's going to fix him. And she, it's, yeah, it's in a classic alcoholic home, I guess is what I'm, what I'm describing. But, but one of the most detrimental things was the lack of intimacy. There was no physical intimacy. There was no emotional intimacy in the house. Again, just huge reactions. And to me, I learned that huge reactions means love. That's what must be what it means, that intensity, which is not the case. It's, uh, yeah, that's been a, a, a long time coming. That's been like a thing that I've been working through a lot is to realize I, the intensity of my emotion does not equate love. And I, I thought it did for a long time and it really, it exhausted me. <clears throat> let's talk about higher power. I have been sober for 13 years and had a lot of, have a lot of success in my original program and putting down those substances. And I, but that was part of my bottom is trying to be more and more and more of service because things weren't going well in my life. And I was hating myself. And the solution was always just to be more of service. But the problem is when I'm being of service from a place of people pleasing, it's, it just takes me further into the, uh, into the exhaustion, running me into the ground and, and kind of brings out that, that sense of like, what's wrong with me? I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. I'm being of service. Why do I still feel this way? And recently I was 
thinking about God. I It's better than thinking about these fantasy anxieties and stuff, which I used to do a lot. Now I kind of think about other things. And I was like, this higher power is so loving, so caring, just views me with just unconditional love. Yeah. And then the word came out that my, my higher power views me with faith. I was like, wait, I'm supposed to have faith in my higher power. My higher power has faith in me. And that realization just filled me with a sense of responsibility, but not that overdeveloped sense of responsibility, but a, a healthy sense of privilege and um, like an honor that I maybe perhaps here for a reason to carry something out for this higher power. And it just has transformed that idea of seeking and carrying out God's will. And I think that's why that, even though I initially had that experience of being asked to share, I'm also profoundly grateful. Like the voice, voice is such a, a, a new thing for me to embrace that I may have a voice here and there's a sacredness and a responsibility to it that I, I don't take lightly. And I, I'm wanting to cultivate that and I'm just letting it flow. You guys, I don't know where I'm going with this, but anyway, um, I want to create a space for my higher power to work through me. It's not me who does it. It's it's, and I am in the helping profession. It's higher power working through me. And especially in these last 40 days, for whatever reason, I think because of the new year, I'm starting to put away many of these unhealthy attachments. Like I mentioned food earlier and other things. And as I'm putting those things aside, I'm, I'm feeling the, what's this word that keeps coming to me is wisdom, like with a capital W I'm sitting in silence today for an extended period of time and just connecting and soaking up the, this unlimited power. Oh, our book is so beautiful about it. It talks about like the overflowing cup. I'm always small minded and it's feel like it's going to run out or my higher power is going to get tired of me, but there's this abundance overflow that we have access to. And I have people in this program who, who remind me of it, but um, yeah, that and that, restriction and creating boundaries. I didn't grow up with boundaries. I had no boundaries. I got to do whatever I want. No one could talk about the difficult things. So I was using drugs. I'll come home drunk, throw up in my room, smelling like weed. No one could talk about it. They can't address, we can't address it. We live, we struggle with denial and not being vulnerable. So I, I don't know boundaries. I don't know where you and your feelings begin and end or where mine begin and end. And I'm, as a loving parent, starting to bring boundaries into my life. And it's really changing. Uh, it's, it's again, with diet, with other things, I putting away some, um, like my obsession with podcasts and listening all day, every day, and to fall asleep at night. And it was really difficult at first, but it, it's a, as I put those things away and went through that process, it's like, now I have more time for again, that stillness and quiet and that place where I get to meet with higher power, which has always been drowned out by substances or numbing myself out with these other things and, uh, and the trauma and chaos of just this activated system that was on, on hyper alert all the time.
I'm just remembering uh, this time that I got picked up from school. I got a ride from a, a friend and I didn't usually get a ride, but for whatever reason, I went with this friend and he was, first he sat in the back seat, which I thought was weird. And then he and his mom proceeded to have a conversation and they talked about school and his homework and the teachers and his friends. And I was like, this is really weird. I would never tell my parents anything about what's going on with me. But uh, in fact, I remember feeling just, I was just confused by it. And I was like, I can't wait to tell people about this. This is pretty lame. I was like, this guy's a baby. Like who tells their mom about this stuff? And I, um, I realized now that I wanted that, but I took the position of, oh, this person must be, must be lame for doing that. But I wanted someone to be interested in my life. No one seemed to be, no one knew anything about what I was getting into. It's really, I just can't imagine that I have a son. I'm like, I can't imagine not being interested in his life and asking him those questions about, oh, how was your day? How was school? How was your homework? What do you, what kind of, it's, it was just so insane. And I thought of that kid as a baby. I was like, oh, this is a baby. But in reality, obviously I'm the adult child. I'm the adult infant at times. And I, those are things I actually really wanted, but I took the position of, of being critical about it. I think that was a solution for my family. We're, we're so mean and judgmental about others. My father's constantly criticizing others, just speaking under his breath, like, oh, you're fucking this and that, constantly. And I picked that up, and that's my critical parent. And if I'm constantly comparing everyone else to these judgments, then I'm probably doing that to myself. And it means I'll never live up to anything outside of this criticism. So I, I that's, uh, again, it takes a lot of effort to be aware of that. And I think ACA has given me the, the space to um, break through that. Cause I really love the people in this room. I, I sometimes like the faces, even if I haven't interacted with people, I, I see your names. I have a, I have a home group on Wednesday and I know everyone that comes in that room. And I love every person in that room. And uh, I, and all of our quirks and silliness and and creativity and beauty and power and all that. Um, That's 30 minutes. Great. Thank you. Uh, so 15 left. Okay. Thank you. And let's talk about some recovery. I, I like the 10th step has this most amazing thing ever, which is this idea of integration. It's not just the getting rid of uh, our defects, which there are things I'm constantly working on to reduce and, and get out of the way. But there's also this idea of integration, which again is so loving parent of that book to, to integrate. These are, we integrate our traits. I don't, I'm not getting rid of them. These are the traits that helped me survive. I don't know what would happen if I couldn't survive this, this upbringing, but they were there and those traits got me through. They're survival traits. That's the other name for them, the laundry list traits. And so today, instead of trying to disown that, I get to integrate it and get to see the, the trait working, 
maim it, which takes some power out of it, and then do some work around it. Like um, <clears throat> recently I did get back from that monastery and I had to do this. Uh, I work with insurance and I had to do this like battle. It's kind of like a battle with this the insurance and you kind of fight over time. And I got, I just got so scared about it and just was feeling consumed by anxiety, ruining the end of the trip because of this 10 minute call I'm going to have with this insurance company. And I got to see the fear of authority figures come up, which by the way, the, the word's really important. It's, it's like, a it's like, um, an un, unreal fear. Like it's, it's over-exaggerated fear that we have of, of authority figures. And I got to see that and all, all of these things come up. And then again, go inward, go to inner child and see all the stuff that that critical parent was telling it that was attached to this 10 minute call. And what was attached to this was I'm going to get fired. I'm going to lose my license. I'm going to go to jail and I'm going to get a divorce insanity and we do have distorted thinking that this there's like those four modes of thinking the black and white all, all that stuff so i get to see the distorted thinking and um bring in an alternate alternative perspective and just be with that and tend to it and recognize the preparation i had done and unhook me from a lot of that responsibility and that to me is like oh, okay, I see the trait coming up. Thank you. I know you've been here and you're trying to help, but um, we're just going to breathe and set that aside and offer a loving parent to this situation and warm myself in that loving parent energy to just dissolve it um, and let it go. I, I only have a little bit of time. So I'll tell you something that I'm doing that's been helpful. I have a bad memory. Many people with trauma do. If there's something with the brain that makes the something or other smaller anyway. Uh, but a powerful component to this program is we remember. We, we remember and we tell our stories. And I have this document. It's called like my ACA memory lane. And I'm going back to shows that I'll, I'll remember during that time or music and bands. And then I'm looking up when they came out and I'm kind of piecing together this cool thing for my inner children to, to help me remember. And with that, we get to dance to the music and have fun. I never got to be honest about that stuff. I always lied and pretended. I couldn't tell you what bands I was really listening to. I had to pretend I was listening to other bands. I don't, I mean, some of that's normal adolescent stuff, but I, I had this coach who, uh, who asked everybody who's going down the line and asking people what they ate for breakfast. And people were like, oh, bagel or banana. I don't think I had breakfast that day, but I needed to lie and tell them, oh, I had a bagel. So that's just, I, for some reason, what came from me wasn't okay. And I had to copy and lie and, and do that. So anyway, I'm going back to some of these bands and I'm listening to them and I don't care who hears me. It's really fun. Um, but yeah, I, ACA has taught me that there's so many cool little uh, dances and like show and tells and stuff and people's 
willingness to go out there has freed me to do that as well. I will say on the, the note of loving parent and healthy boundaries, loving parent does need healthy boundaries. I can't listen to eight hours of emo music. That's too much. So we'll have limits to it and make sure we, uh, I'm bringing in, we're ingesting healthy things, whether it's music or shows or food. And uh, because overly stimulating, overly graphic things are not healthy for me, which means they're not healthy for my inner child. So we, we have some healthy boundaries around that. Oh, so crazy. So my son, we're watching Blue's Clues. And I was tearing up because I was probably too old for it, but that was a show that was on when I was a kid. And, and then I found this video of the guy who was on Blue's Coos, Steve, who's amazing. You got to find your figures. Like if you need help with loving parent voice, there's so many great kid shows and things that represent that. And he was just like such a cool dude. Anyway, he came back and uh, 20 years after he left the show or whatever, and was dressed in a ball cap in the, in the uniform. And he's like, yeah, remember when, uh, when I left the show to go to college, that was pretty abrupt. Right. And it was just like really healing to, to watch that. And, uh, so anyway, I will end and I will say that I, before I was writing or, uh, started sharing, I, um, I was writing with my inner children and you know, they're proud of me. It's weird that the, the relationship has developed and it's been a really cool, like they give me so much and I give them so much. And uh, one of them is like, I'm really scared and telling me some stuff about some fears about this, this speaking tonight. And there's like, I'm, I don't have an ending. And you're supposed to like, wow them. You're supposed to have this like amazing ending. And I was like, I kind of laughed. I was like, dude, we don't need to do anything. Like we're just showing up and doing the best we can. But I just thought it was funny because this like, that was that should, right? Like, oh, we're, I'm supposed to, who says I'm supposed to have an amazing ending in, a, in an ACA share? I'm just a, a one of many members of this program. So anyway, I am um, proud of my inner children. I'm proud of yours. Again, if you've contacted them or not, that's been a, a thing in your recovery. And Thank you all for just giving me the space tonight. I will end there.